and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big Show brought to you by our friends at Big O Tires. Save up to $190 off Michelin tires with financing options available. Only your locally owned and operated Big O Tires, the team you trust. We're going to talk to our friend Sam Amick coming up here momentarily from The Athletic. Uh, he's uh, written about a number of different things that are interesting lately. But he did go back uh, and examine the trades over the last year and what trades had an impact and what didn't. And, of course, the Jazz made a pretty big trade in the last year, Gordon. Yeah, they sure did. And, uh, yeah, I thought uh, Sam did a really interesting job of, uh, of providing additional information for all of that and putting it in perspective. I, I enjoyed that. I, I really think he does a, a terrific job. And he's written a lot about the jazz lately. Uh, of course, he had that uh, exclusive interview with Rudy Gobert that we talked to him about. And, you know, it is it, it, the Jazz are getting a lot of attention, Gordon. You win 20 out of 21 games, something that uh, this Jazz franchise has only done once before in 1997. And they have a chance to break that coming up on Friday, which I guess would be tomorrow. I mean, we are talking about uh, some stuff that doesn't happen all that often in the NBA, let alone around here. Yeah, and we can ask him about it, but I thought that was interesting. He pointed out that one of the reasons the Jazz were hunting for a uh, for a scorer when they ended up getting uh, Jordan Clarkson was because Mike Conley was hurt. Right. And so sometimes, as he put it, uh, it's funny how misfortune can be a blessing. Well, let's get to it. In fact, Austin, hit the open. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist, featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick, on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, out to the zone phone we go. Joining us now, senior NBA writer from The Athletic, our good friend Sam Amick. Sam, what's going on? Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. We were just uh, kind of teasing uh, your work and talking about uh, Jordan Clarkson. Really enjoyed uh, you breaking down the trades over the last year. I thought the whole thing was really good. But, uh, of course, you gave an analysis on, on the Jordan Clarkson trade last year and how that's worked out for the Jazz. Talk about that a little bit because people around here think it worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> well, people around there are pretty smart then. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the – most impactful trades I can remember in terms of, you know, like the way that it, it landed at the time and people kind of, you know, not that people shrugged, but people kind of said, okay, you know, Clarkson's been a guy who can score, but mostly for bad teams. And, and like I wrote, if you remember the one playoff run in Cleveland where, you know, you get kind of that honor of being somebody who's going to be on a LeBron team and try to, you know, win the whole thing. He had a hard time, you know, played about 15 minutes a game and, it wasn't all that effective. Um, so I certainly didn't see it going this way. And for him to turn into a guy that, you know, obviously coming off the bench, but, you know, he is in that vein of kind of Lou Williams and, and then some, you know what I mean? I mean, he's dropping 40-plus on some nights and 
just a, a fantastic move. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that, it reminds you, like, the, I guess the frailty of the game itself. You feel for a guy like Dante Exum, who, by all accounts, you know, was willing to put in the work and, and, and a very talented guy that just couldn't stay healthy. You know, Sam, I had forgotten about uh, the lack of production from uh, Jordan Clarkson in that playoff series. Uh, and you pointed it out, and it brought it all back. And for Jazz fans who are watching Jordan Clarkson right now, imagine this. You said he played in that playoff situation 15 minutes. He scored 4.7 points, shot 30% overall, and 23.9% from three. I mean, Jazz fans are watching this guy do this, and that's pretty hard for them to even imagine. A hundred percent. And I mean, you know, like I tried to kind of break down and, and I did make a few calls to connect with the jazz and get their insight on how it's gone. And then, you know, one of the main things that if you were comparing the two situations, I can't speak too much to, you know, Jordan's mindset during that time in Cleveland, but you know, that I think it's probably safe to assume that his confidence was not at the level it is now. He was not empowered in the way that he is now. And, and so that is something where you got to bring in the coaching staff and, Quinn Snyder and his crew and give them credit for, for giving him the green light because that's, you know, players like Jordan, a lot of times if you get a coach who likes to keep a kind of a tighter rope and not give that green light, then you don't kind of get the best out of them at some point. And, you know, it's not just Quinn, though. It's the guys on the floor. I mean, it's funny. I remember talking to Joe Ingles on the kind of the, uh, the backside of the COVID situation in March uh, and, and about everything that went through together in Oklahoma city. And he would tell the story about how in OKC Jordan's locker, I think was right next to Joe. And, and this is like a real subtle thing, but it jumped out at me that, that Joe would, well, was called Jordan JC. And he said it like real affectionately. And I have, I got to admit at the time I, I'm sitting there going, JC, who the hell is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a second and, and, you know, and you almost felt stupid because there was such an affinity and, and, you know, I, I got it after a few seconds. But that was kind of the first time that you could tell that, like, you know, his teammates uh, were believing in him and that he was, you know, like, legitimately part of their group. But, you know, what he's doing right now is just incredible. And, and I heard you guys kind of alluding on the uh, – when you brought me in today about the Mike Conley factor. And that, that part of it is crazy, too. If you look back at the idea that, you know, Conley was, was frustrated early on in his tenure in Utah and feeling guilty about it, you know, and then when he gets hurt – they uh, they kind of go shopping for somebody to help on the wing, and, and lo and behold, here comes Jordan. All right, Sam. Well, uh, with this in mind, with this uh, topic came up on the post game show a couple of weeks ago. I can't even remember which game it was after, but uh, we we were talking about whether or not this was the best non draft day trade in Jazz history, and and we put it out there to listeners too. And the other the only other one that rivals it and maybe even surpasses it, and here's where I want your expertise, was, of course, when the Jazz traded Jeff Malone and a first-round draft pick to Philadelphia in exchange for Jeff Hornacek, Sean Green, and a 1995 second-round draft pick. So, Sam, which was the better trade, the Jordan Clarkson (laughs) deal or the Jeff Hornacek deal? (laughs) Man, that's a tough one. I know, you know, I know there's a a lot of nostalgia for – for Hornacek and the part that he played in their history. Maybe I'm having reason to bias, but I feel like I'll give it to, to Jordan. I don't have, you know, uh, Jeff's numbers in front of me, but I don't remember, you know, and I, I followed those jazz teams closely as a guy that was kind of enjoying the game in that era. 
but uh, I don't remember routine 40 pieces. You know, I remember a lot of a lot of buckets, but you know, this is uh, uh, I feel like on a different tier. Uh, Sam, I think I would go with Hornacek on that just because the Jazz had Stockton and Malone for a long time. It wasn't until they got Hornacek, who was a facilitator, and in those days the Jazz ran no plays for him. He could have scored a lot more than he did, and there were times when he really helped them. So, but I will say this. If Jordan Clarkson keeps this pace up, well, we're going to have to reconsider as time goes by. One, one of the things that stood out to me in what you wrote was – and you alluded to Quinn Snyder having the, the the brain power, I guess, to recognize how to utilize Jordan Clarkson and how to fit him into the jazz structure and how to, like you said earlier, let him go. I mean, that's that's a bit of coaching brilliance, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It, it is for sure. And, and especially, you know, with the landscape of, like, the guys on the perimeter for them, if you kind of take a step back and – Think about what he's trying to navigate at the time. You got a young, talented guy in Donovan Mitchell who's already, you know, starting to go towards all-star level, but also trying to develop and find his way. And you got to keep his confidence high. And, and you know, at that point, now he knows that he's being considered, along with Rudy, the you know, the two franchise centerpieces, but you have to keep him in a good place. And there's only one ball. You know, then you're adding Mike Conley. And, and even though he's a vet, he spent you know, his whole career with Marcus Gasol in Memphis running one kind of system like he's talked about, so he's going through an adjustment. You know, you're already having to kind of, you know, kind of pay attention to those two dynamics. Um, and now here comes a guy in Jordan where if you let him go, you know, he, he might take the whole darn thing over and make the other guys kind of question, you know, how big of a piece of the pie they have, if that makes sense, offensively. And for him and that staff to figure that out is huge. And without going too far, I also feel like, I mean, it's funny because as much kind of stability and and harmony as there's been in Utah the last couple of years, the longer that Quinn's been the coach, the longer that Dennis and that same group in the front office has been there, I'm guilty of, you know, this is, I guess, a league-wide perspective, kind of feeling like, all right, the, the bloom's going to be off the roads at some point because inevitably when there's not a championship involved, you know, there's just not harmony forever. I feel like the Jordan thing is, is kind of, you know, showing us that, that right now, uh, you know, they keep evolving and they keep, you know, staying together in the kind of way that is going to prolong what they have. And, and it takes these kinds of developments. You know, the, the easiest way to, like I said, to stay together in general is to, to go raise the trophy together. But, but this is the kind of thing that I didn't necessarily see coming when they lost to Denver and the kind of thing that I think is, is kind of extending their shelf life and giving them a, a longer window to try to, to go win the whole thing. And, Jake, if you don't mind me just buttoning in here with one other item about this, it's that one of the reasons Cleveland, you point this out, was eager to offload Jordan Clarkson was because they didn't think they could re-sign him because he was going to be a free agent. Well, the Jazz right. create this environment for him that is pleasing to him, and he enjoys it, and he likes the, the feel of the team. And so he happily re-signs with the Jazz, and, and, and now they're they're reaping those benefits. So... The Jazz must have been fairly confident that if things worked out, that they were going to embrace him enough to want him to want to stick around. Well, and then real quickly to that point, Gordon, you make a really good point. I I feel like in the media we're always way too guilty of a trade happens and it's who won and lost this trade. And even if you look back on it, who won it, who lost it, you're talking in a lot of cases about apples and oranges in terms of the context, and that matters a lot. I don't really think you can blame the Cavs 
you know, for making a quote-unquote stupid trade here because everybody involved agrees Jordan was not coming back to Cleveland. He was a lost asset, if you will. I, you know, I, I kind of hate referring to players as assets, but in terms of the contract, you know, his time in Cleveland was up. So they take a flyer on Dante, and, and ultimately they ended up moving Dante to Houston. And so he plays a small part in them landing Jared Allen and Torian Prince. So you can kind of say that, that they salvaged something out of that deal. But, you know, that's where good front offices scour the entire league's landscape, figure out where are their situations where we could benefit from where somebody else might be in a kind of a no-win situation or, or a place where they're going to be willing to bargain because, you know, they, uh, they don't have a future with a certain player. So, Sam, as good as the Jazz have been, uh, they've won 20 out of 21, as you know. I, I still see fans from other teams and, and some national pundits, although a little less so, still uh, compare the Jazz to the Hawks of a few years ago that were so good, but then, of course, ended up uh, flaming out. Is, is, is this a case where the Jazz really can't uh, get those people or, or win those people over to their side really until they do something in the playoffs? Because I, I still am just astonished. Uh, 20 of 21. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, I don't know, Jake. I, I feel like, um, for one, like you said, that's that's the minority of the crowd at this point. I haven't seen a lot of that. But I feel like people who have that view, it's probably mostly born out of just the, it's the, the makeup of the roster because for one, Donovan star does continue to get brighter, you know, but it's not as bright as a James Harden or a LeBron or, you know, any of those types of guys. So, you know, right away, your biggest quote unquote star is not as uh, well known as, you know, some of the guys that he's beating on a nightly basis. Rudy is, you know, in that same vein. And then from there, it does become a, a kind of a, a formula where it's all about depth and you've got, you know, just a, a cast of characters that are not household names. So I think that's mainly the thing. People, I probably blame, you know, and this is, I, I say blame lightly, you know, people are busy in their everyday lives, and so the casuals, as they're kind of called these days, casual fans, are, you know, they might know 10, 20, 30 NBA players, but if, if you kind of ask them to understand why this, this plucky team out in Utah is winning every night and you don't give them a name to you know, to kind of process that they're familiar with, you know, then they probably doubt it and say, yeah, you know, tell me what LeBron's doing, you know, and that's just kind of human nature. But they're earning respect on a nightly basis. They're winning even those games when they don't play all that well, which I think is a sign of a really good team. They're winning when they got guys out of the lineup. I mean, they've obviously been without Mike for quite a few games right now and had bouts without Donovan where they kept winning. And, and uh, you know, that's impressive. And, they seem to uh, to also keep their perspective on the big picture and know that you know while they are enjoying themselves, you know you don't you don't win a championship a couple months into the regular season. Yeah, Sam, I, that's one of the reasons I really like having you on the show. You've always been that way, where you're very objective, but you're nobody's fool, and you've been waiting to. See- this yourself right when we've peppered you with questions about the jazz you always uh, kind of say yeah this is positive this is positive but you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see how it turns out and and so now you can be a little more optimistic about it because you believe what you see with your eyes right yeah for sure for sure and you know i i just think that i think i've said this on the show a couple times they left a kind of a mental mark on me in my experience in the bubble with, you know, which I think I've shared with you guys before that professionally that like, there was just something different about 
uh, kind of being in that space with players and coaches and getting, you know, an even closer look at them as people as we normally would, even in an arena. There's something about, you know, you're talking about quiet hallways inside a, a fairly uh, kind of, you know, not very populated environment as opposed to typically seeing them inside an arena with 18,000 people and, and media everywhere and chaos. And so, you know, seeing Utah up close and kind of how they felt the game and, and how they felt about each other left a mark with me. But, again, I didn't see this coming. Uh, and, you know, you see the, the competitiveness of all these guys. We talked before about how this thing was kind of ripe to, to break up. You know what I mean? Like it go back to March and April, you know, and then heading into the bubble, it had all the makings of a, a group where we'd be talking about what might have been because they just couldn't stay on the same page. And uh, you know, in that sense, it's pretty remarkable that they are where they are. Sam, uh, you've uh, you mentioned your work in the bubble, and and uh, I've got to give you uh, uh, props because not only have you done a, an incredible job covering the NBA, but you've also done an incredible job covering the NBA in the coronavirus era. And uh, with that in mind, you have your latest up at the Athletic, where you had a chance to talk to uh, Dr. Leroy Sims and. Um, tell us a little bit about the piece, but tell us about kind of this underlying drama that's going on with the NBA, the players, and vaccination. So um, Dr. Sims is a, is a guy who's he's worked with the NBA, the league, since 2018. Used to work for the Warriors, you know, did work with USA Track and Field, Stanford Medical School, pretty decorated physician. And a guy who, this is one of my favorite parts, is a guy who still works inside a good old-fashioned ER down in the San Francisco Bay Area. So he ran the bubble from the medical side, got a lot of well-deserved credit for that. Uh, but, you know, that was a success story that, that kind of came and went. And now, as, as athletes know, it's kind of what have you done for me lately. And Dr. Sims now is the, is the person who is essentially leading the way with, you know, with the NBA, talking to players about their vaccination efforts. And right now it's in the education stage. The players can't get the vaccine yet, but the league is well aware that, a, you know, I don't know the numbers, but a great deal of players uh, do not want to take the vaccine or have concerns about it. And a lot of them, you know, this, this is not all the way across the board, but a, a great many of them, it, it's rooted in the kind of fears and skepticism that, you know, you have a league that is, you know, vast majority of African-American players. And in the black community, as it's been pretty well chronicled, there's a lot of concern, uh, and again, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but uh, a lot of concern about the medical industry in general. There's a lot of pretty shameful history in our country of, of uh, black folks being mistreated on the medical side, and a lot of these players grew up um, in, in different ways, kind of being told to, to be cautious and to be wary about what you put in your body. And so that's where they're at right now. The league had wanted and hoped that players would be kind of out there taking part in uh, vaccine education efforts, you know, maybe commercial spots with LeBron James and Steph Curry and Donovan Mitchell, guys like that, where they, you know, they come out and tell the public the vaccines, kind of the way we get out of this pandemic, you know, trust it, go, go get your vaccine shot today. And, and you guys, I'm sure, have seen that the league has already done that with some of its older retired players, you know, right. Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and, and that crowd um, has seemingly cooperated with the NBA's plan, and the players, it's been a tougher sell. And, you know, so uh, Dr. Sims has been doing team-by-team -team virtual meetings. Uh, all You know, all 30 teams 
a Zoom meeting per team, talking about their questions, their concerns, and, and having tough conversations. And I should point out, he's a black man and somebody who, as he talks about, is, is trying to mix his life experience with his medical experience, admitting to the players in these meetings that back in November when the vaccine first got offered to him, he didn't want to take it at first because he had not studied all the data, wanted to know more about the clinical trials and side effects and, and really know the information. And so, you know, he eventually got the vaccine. He's now trying to, you know, assuage some of the players' concerns and, and see if they can't, uh, you know, when, when it's ready for them and when it, they don't want to jump the line, but when it is their turn that, uh, that the players take it. There is a little bit of irony there, considering of all the the uh, the uh, sports associations, uh, the NBA seems to have been following the science as well as any other has. And so to have this come up now, I can't speak to the complications of what you were talking about there. But uh, but Sam, that's uh, I, based on what I read, uh, it seems like the science says it's a good thing to do. I mean, maybe the players, it'll dawn on them, you know. No, I, I agree with you, Gordon. Uh, I think the problem, and I will say humbly that I, I sent my editor a note today. I was like, man, this is another, another day on this job where I just, I, I, you know, as much as I like basketball, I, I really enjoy when I end up learning. I felt like I was in school today. There was a lot of stuff about the history that I wasn't aware of. I knew about the, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment where for 40 years, you know, a lot of black folks were having their bodies, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, experimented on without their knowledge. And so that's the most often cited example of uh-huh. essentially medical malpractice in the black community. But as, as one of my colleagues today had, had highlighted to me, he's like, Sam, and, you know, he's a black man. Was like, he goes, I'm kind of tired of everybody citing Tuskegee because there are dozens upon dozens of examples. There's stuff from the gynecology industry that, that has been extremely problematic. There's, you know, the story of Henrietta Lacks, you know, who I didn't know this until today, that Oprah actually starred in a movie featuring, uh, you know, this woman whose uh, cancer cells were taken without her knowledge and, and used, you know, in testing. Um, and, you know, that even became a movie that, that's on HBO to this day. Was, I think just two years ago they made that. So that's the backdrop where, to your point, Gordon, yeah, the vaccine and the information and the data and the science all lead to one conclusion, which is, hey, everybody, go get your vaccine. Um, but it's all these other examples where uh, a lot of folks have said, okay, but I've kind of been trained to, to, to not trust, you know, medicine. And that's heavy stuff, Sam, heavy, heavy. No doubt. It really is. And it's not, I think that, like, the media narrative and the discussion, it, it's progressed and it's gotten better in terms of providing this kind of context. Um but this is not <laughs> kind of a bad reference. This is not chewing on conspiracy thoughts. This is stuff that, like when I did, you know, when I did my research today, you know, every place we're citing, we linked to a bunch of articles in my piece where, you know, you're talking about the CDC website. You're talking about, um, you know, history.com, you know, nationalgeographic.com, all of these places that are extremely reputable that, that, that have chronicled the history. Uh, but I hate to say it, if, if it's this is what we're sometimes guilty of just in society is like if it's not your community and you know and I'm a white man so it hasn't been mine if it's not your community you don't know it and you know that's that's largely why I think it's not part of the discourse. Good stuff. Good stuff. Great stuff. Yeah, really enjoyed it and would encourage our our listeners to go give it a read and the the piece on the trades was great too. And Sam, we always appreciate you dropping by. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Talk to you next week. Absolutely.
our friend Sam Amick, senior NBA writer from The Athletic, and certainly a highlight of the week every time he's able to jump on with us. And and really, his last uh, his last two pieces, all his pieces are really good, but his last two uh, were good in particular. His breakdown on Jordan Clarkson and that trade was great. Oh, I thought so, too. And when you read what Sam writes and you hear what he says there, that's just a punch to the gut, Jake. Yep. Yep, no sad, doubt. Sad, sad, sad history, man. All right, coming up next, so we've got Steve Klauke jumping on the show. The Bees schedule is out. Klauke, I'm sure, excited to get back to baseball, and we'll talk to him about the Joe Ingles thing. Also, Weber State football is getting underway. We've got a lot to get underway or uh, get to with Klauke coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Listen what I say. Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to remind you about our friends at Davis Vision. They're giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off uh, LASIK during the month of February. Start your road to vision at davisvisionmd.com or call today, 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. We're going to talk to Steve Klauke coming up here momentarily. Of course, uh, not only the voice of the Salt Lake Bees, but also the Weber State Wildcats. An all-around good dude. Steve is the best. I, I bet we'll get some actually funny puns with Steve. Oh, well, <laughs> wait a minute. Well, what, what did that mean? I, I mean that Steve's good at puns. No, no, what did, no, that was pointed at somebody else. I, I just said Steve will probably get some actually funny puns because I— As opposed out, to what we normally hear on this show? Is that what you were getting at? Well, you can read into it however you want. Well, that's what I read into it. Steve Klauke joins us now, voice of the bees and the Weber State Wildcats. Hello, Steve. Hi, Jake. How you doing, Gordon? How you doing? Uh, thanks again for the uh, very nice call on the other day. And it's always good to talk to Mr. Pooper Scooper on the other side of the glass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Steve, uh, I got a lot of feedback from that column from people around uh, who have known you through the years in baseball, and uh, you've got a lot of fans out there, my friend. Well, that's 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 nice to hear. I'll remember that the next time I'm up for a uh, salary increase. <laughs> <laughs> Just take the column in with you, Steve. Just say, yeah. here, check this out. <laughs> Let's leverage. Uh, We have a lot to get to with you today, Steve, but let's start with the exciting news of the day, of course. Bees baseball is coming back. Uh, Of course, it's been a complicated last year for sports in general, but uh, April 8th, they're going to be back at it. you got to be fired up. I really am, Jake. It's it's nice to see, actually, the printout of the schedule that that they're hoping to start on time on April the 8th, like you said. It's a, a very different schedule in the past, most of the time. We would play three or four game series, maybe two cities at a time, maybe a three city road trip. And and now it's going to be a six game series all throughout the year. Every Wednesday will be an off day. So you can set your clock to that. And obviously the league looks a little different. No more games with Omaha, Iowa, Memphis, or Nashville. Fresno got relegated to low a, so no trips to Fresno, darn. And uh, (laughs) the addition of uh, 
the addition of Sugarland, Texas, just outside of Houston. Steve, I don't want to uh, commence this with a, a downer, but I want to get your opinion on the way some of minor league baseball, its fate over the past uh, year or so, uh, yeah, namely being eliminated. <laughs> yeah, the 42 teams that were eliminated, that's uh, that's sad to see. That was Major League Baseball's uh, uh, solving the problem of low minor league salaries. So instead of having six levels, let's just get rid of two levels and say that we're giving the minor league players a 34 to 70% salary increase. So uh, that, that's their way of doing it. I don't particularly like it. I mean, baseball is grassroots, especially the teams that uh, were eliminated. Thankfully, in some cases, like the Pioneer League, they were able to partner with Major League Baseball and have an independent league, which is great because the quality of play, the age of the players, very similar to what they're used to. The biggest difference is now these teams have to pay the player salary, which they didn't have to when they were in affiliated baseball. So that's going to be a problem when you have limited attendance and you can't uh, you know, raise the necessary revenue to pay the players. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that all works out. Steve, you've been around minor league baseball for a very long time. Is there a different way they could have done it, or was this pretty much what they had to do? Well, considering it's a multi-billion dollar industry, I would think that with all the money they do pass out, they would able to would, would have been able to find some money somewhere along the lines where they could increase the players' salaries and keep all the teams. But part, I, I guess part of it is the salary, part of it some of the facilities weren't up to snuff, and part of it was travel. Now, that is all good and fine, but then I look at my uh, the B schedule, and the first road trip is Houston, Sacramento, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So uh, it, it's uh, it's a uh, it's a double-edged sword for sure. But you know, at least uh, the teams that are still around will have baseball. Steve, I so enjoyed our conversation the other day, and uh, as you can imagine, Jake, Steve has a lot of stories, a lot of experience, a lot of tales to tell. My question to you now, Steve, is what is your favorite? What's the best thing about calling AAA baseball? Well, I think it's the fact that uh, a lot of these guys you're going to see at some point in time, maybe it's only for two games, maybe it's only for six or eight like me, but some a lot of these guys you're going to see uh, on television in a Major League Baseball uniform and get a chance to play in the big leagues. And watching these guys uh, work their tails off and for very little money, I think I might have told you that the uh, uh, I, I've seen some pay stubs from some guys at the AAA level a two-week pay stub after taxes taken out sometimes was only $534, and how are they going to live on that? So uh, I think just getting seeing these guys get that opportunity, even if they're only there for, say, 10 days, that's more than you know a three-month salary in the minor leagues. Steve Clocky with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to ask you about Weber State, Steve, but before we move off baseball, uh, Joe Ingles was on this morning with DJ and PK, as he always is, and he, he revealed a bet between he and Donovan Mitchell, and I want to, want to see which way you would bet. Joe has never been a baseball player. He played a little cricket growing up, but he's bet Donovan Mitchell that Donovan can throw him 10 fastball pitches and all Joe has to do is get it in play once. Doesn't doesn't have to get a hit, just has to get it in bounds once. Who would you bet on? Oh, definitely Donovan. The only way Joe wins that is if Donovan doesn't elevate a pitch and he bounces it in because that's when a cricket <laughs> batter sees every pitch. They bounce it in. And so he might be used to something like that, even though a cricket bat's about three times as wide as a baseball bat. So I think that's the only chance that Joe has is if uh, – 
Donovan uh, skips one in the dirt, and that's more along the line of what Joe has seen in his past. Well, that's my question then. Is he going to be allowed to use a cricket bat? <laughs> uh, it would help his chances, but I don't think it would put him over the top. Now, he was he was clipping. All he has to do is dribble it, you know, a foot in front of himself. You know, I mean, you think he's just going to be whiffing? Yeah, there's 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 no bad. If, if you know, I've seen I've seen Donovan throw out a ceremonial first pitch of the ballpark, and it was as impressive as I've ever seen from a jazz <laughs> player over the years, as opposed to the worst one I ever saw which was by Carl Malone that wasn't even close to reaching home plate. And later he blamed it on the fact his hands were too big to throw a baseball. <laughs> uh, Klauke is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Switching gears, Steve, are you ready for some spring football? It's going to be very interesting. It's, uh, you know, we, the pros have always tried spring leagues. It's never worked out. So let's see what happens uh, this go around. Obviously, there were some... You know, concerns about playing a spring season and turning right around in a few months and playing a regular fall schedule. But as of now, everything seems to be on track. It'll be a, uh, a reduced schedule, six games, three in a row, then an off week to have some space just in case some of the early games are postponed, like we've already seen with, with Cal Poly. They had their opener uh, uh, pushed back because of uh, COVID protocol. And then another three weeks and then an off week and then a reduced field FCS NCAA tournament which in the past has been 24 teams with 10 champions. This year it's going to be 16 teams with 11 champions, with the MEAC joining the fray for the first time. So uh, it's going to really put a premium on those six regular season games. And I think out of the big sky, probably the top two teams, but you almost have to go unbeaten to have a chance to get into the tournament this year. So I saw the odds makers out of Vegas for making Weber State. Like, I think they had the second best odds to win the national championship, Steve. Yeah, it's a very, very talented uh, group. Uh, the, the, the two places they need to fill in uh, spots that are vacated are at quarterback. But Jay Hill seems to like what things have, how things have developed in camp, uh, really down to uh, two guys, including a quarterback who's a junior who uh, played at Middle Tennessee State. And then place kicker, Trey Tuttle, an All-American. He was 14 field goals away from uh, setting the all-time NCAA uh, field goal record. But unfortunately, he's decided to uh, end his career and, and uh, go elsewhere. So they've got four kickers in camp trying to solve it, but uh, solve that problem. But the defense that they have here, that's what Jay Hill has predicated his success on, is great defenses. That's certainly what they've had. And each year they lose players, and each year – they seem to rebuild to even better defense. So I think that's the thing that everybody's hanging their hat on. Because you mentioned the odds makers. Uh, some of the polls I've seen have them ranked either second or third in the nation. So it's going to be a fun, a short but fun season of football uh, up here at uh, uh, Weber State. Steve, Randy Ray's crew is 7-3 and three in league this year. They're currently, uh, what is this, half a game out of second place. They have a game tonight against NAU. That game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Of course, Steve will be on the call. But what what shot do you give uh, this year's Wildcats of uh, busting through in the Big Sky tourney and getting that bid? I think this is the best team that uh, Coach Ray has had since uh, they went to the NCAA tournament my first year of, of doing uh, Weber State games in 2015. It's a very talented team. Nine new players from, from last year that have all really come together. Uh, guys who have played at a high level in the past, transfers from Florida, Loyola Marymount, Northwestern. Uh, they really have come together and played well. They're an excellent defensive team. And uh, kind of like the Jazz, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. As a matter of fact, I think they're second in the nation only to Baylor. So it's been fun fun to watch. Uh, they got the split up in Montana last week, which was huge, I think, 
And now it's just a matter of, again, how are things going to play out because you have different teams with different numbers of games played. It's not going to be even how are they going to solve that when the regular season ends in three weeks. So, Steve, are you walking right now? Uh, yes, I am. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, no, no, it's okay. The reason I ask that, Jake, is because do you realize that while a lot of other people sort of been sitting around uh, through this coronavirus thing, uh, just uh, eating and uh, sitting around, Steve has lost, uh, what did you say, 20 pounds, Steve? 20 uh, pounds, from, you know. Yeah, going on these long walks. Yeah, some people have put on the COVID-19. I've taken off the COVID-19. Nice. <laughs> Good for you, Steve. One last thing. Tell tell, uh, tell Jake and tell our listeners that story about when you when you were introduced to uh, Vince Scully about four years ago. That, that, that's a funny one. Well, as, as, a, as a 12-year-old, uh, and actually 11-year-old, in 1966, my teacher took myself and another student to Wrigley Field to see a great pitching matchup between the Sandy Koufax for the Dodgers and Ken Holtzman for the Cubs, two, two very good left-handers, obviously Sandy a great left-hander. Um, and uh, he, my teacher happened to be from Brooklyn. And uh, walking up the steps from the field to the old press box at Wrigley Field was Vin Scully. And uh, my teacher, Mr. Shapiro, said, Steve, you have to meet this gentleman. So I, he introduced me. We exchanged pleasantries, and he went off to work. As for to about four or five years ago, a friend of mine asked if I would like to meet Vin Scully down at spring training. And I said, sure. And so uh, he was very pleasant. And, and Mr. Scully said, well, pleasure to meet you. And, of course, I followed that up with a story about how I actually met him when uh, I was 11 years old. And his quick response to that was, and you haven't changed a bit. It's <laughs> a good line. That's a good line. He's not one of the best ever for nothing. You got that right. He's he's uh, he he's ready with a story. Anything from uh, yesterday's dinner to uh, experiences uh, watching uh, the coverage, uh, reading the coverage about World War II. You just never know where he's going to come from. Have you ever run out of stories during uh, during a game, Steve? Have you ever gone? Oh boy, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Thankfully, no. Not e- not <laughs> even in the two 18 inning games that the team has played over the years. <laughs> Well, Steve, hey, we love you. Thanks for jumping on with us. Have a great call tonight, and uh, I think everybody's pretty excited. Bees baseball's back. Yeah, can't can't wait for April the eighth. Thanks. Right. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate you. The great Steve Klauke, voice uh, of not only the Salt Lake Bees but of course the Weber State Wildcats. Coming up next, we have the Not Sports Sports. Stay tuned. Ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Time for the Not Sports Board. Tim Lacombe will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, so stay tuned for that. But uh, let's get to the Not Sports Board brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Check them out at LHMUsedCars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? We're not going anywhere specific except for uh, I saw this debate break out online, and I want to get your opinion on it, okay? Okay. So how would you feel, Jake, if you had a child and named it a certain name, and then your brother had a child and named it the same name, uh, I think I'd be all right with it. My brother and my cousin have similar names. Yeah. Okay. My well, sister and her cousin have the exact name. Yeah. yeah. First really? and middle. 
So this story goes that uh, a, a woman had two children uh, by the name of Hayden and Oliver, named each one of those names. And then her sister had a child and named the first one Hayden and now has a second child and is naming it Oliver. That seems a little extreme to me. And this is coming from someone I named, we named, uh, Lisa and I named one of our daughters the same name that one of my sister's sons has, Taylor. So uh, so I, I, I can relate to this a little bit, but two kids, the same exact names, I think that's, that's taking it too far. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. How, how, about, how about if you had it, it happened twice? Is it a family name? Uh, that the story didn't say. Yeah, I think that changes it a little bit, don't you? No, I don't think it does change. I don't think you do that. You can't do that. You and your brother, if you if he named or you named your kids exact same names as his kids, well, give give your brother a little space, or give you a little space. What you get? You get dibs on that name just because you had a kid first? Yeah, kinda. Yeah. There's no law uh, Austin, that. You agree, I agree. You, ag- you agree with me, don't you, Austin? Uh, to, to peel back the curtain a little bit, for about, I'm not exaggerating, about six seconds when uh, it was discovered that my cousin was going to have the exact same name as my sister, for about six seconds, it was like, wait, what? Really? You're get-? And then we went, no, that, that's fine. It's a family name, the middle name, and they like the first name just as well. And who, what, what, who's to say they can't name their child Battery if they want to? At least they're naming them a, a normal name. So, yeah, whatever. There's also oh, there was I, also about eight years apart from each other. Oh well, yeah, there are there might be some extenuating circumstances, but I think if you if you have a, a similar age and you have kids that might be a similar age. Uh, especially if you have the same last name. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. I I got to give a wider berth there to whatever, B-E-R-T-H, not B-I-R-T-H, uh, to somebody who stakes claim to a certain names. And, There's and that I'm, pun so, like, thing coming up there. Like I said, I'm a little guilty because we, I, I actually did that to my sister, although she had a boy and I had a girl, and so... Lisa had a girl, and we named it the same name. And but they were they were ages were kind of far apart. But going two for two on it is too much, in my opinion. Just my thought. Nah, it's their kids. Name them whatever. I've got I, I've had friends out there that name their kids something I'm not wild about. What are you going to do? Yeah, but I mean, but this is different because you've got your two kids, and now they've got their two kids. And when you're getting together as a family and everyone, people all get the who's who. What are you going to do with that? I could see it, Gordon, if you named your kid Chewbacca Skywalker Monson, and they also <laughs> named their kid Chewbacca Skywalker Monson. That might be a little weird, but well, Taylor and Oliver. That's not uh, weird. Those aren't unique uh, monikers. They can have those names. Whatever. If anything, it simplifies family gatherings. No, it doesn't. It complicates <laughs> them because now what are you going to do? Who are you, who are you talking about? You're going to do H1 and H2? O1 and O2? No, but if the, if you say, oh, no, I meant the other Oliver, then that solves it. Takes about a, another second. Both of my grandmother's names were Gertrude. And one of them went by Gertie, and one of them went by Trudy. That's what you'd have to do. You know, somehow you'd have to be able to differentiate. Well, you know, they are different people, so that's Which a good one? place to start. <laughs> Which one did you like better, Gordon? 
Uh, that means there's one you liked better. That hesitation there. Were you a Gertie uh, or a Trudy? Uh, God bless both of them. They're in the great beyond. Now, Trudy, huh? I, 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 I cannot, I cannot say one way or the other. Trudy. Tim Lacombe is going to join the show coming up next. <laughs> Stay tuned. We're talking jazz basketball around the corner right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.